Hey everybody, welcome back to the National Fire Radio Podcast. I am Jeremy, the host of the National Fire Radio channel. Thank you for joining us. If this is your first time listening to the podcast channel, welcome. If you've been here before, we appreciate your continued support and listening. And trust me, we do appreciate you being a part of the National Fire Radio community. This week, April 3rd, 2023 is an exciting time for us. April this year is a big month for us. And we're going to get into a few of those things as the weeks tick on this month. But right now, this week, on April 4th, Tuesday, and going forward on every Tuesday, will be a brand new podcast called The Size Up by National Fire Radio. The Size Up is hosted by our friend Robert Paparo. We call him Pip. You know him. He's the little guy with the mohawk. He's a rock star. He's a dear friend of ours, and he's bringing forth something new. So how about this? Give a listen to what The Size Up is all about. The Size Up by National Fire Radio is a lifestyle podcast hosted by Robert Pip Paparo. Pip has been involved in the emergency services for close to 30 years, and over that time, he's learned how much your lifestyle off the job can correlate directly to your ability to do the job. Episodes of The Size Up by National Fire Radio will focus on just that. Those different factors that you can control so you're prepared when the time comes that you aren't in control. Pip's guests will come from a variety of fields and have an expertise on topics not normally dove into on the National Fire Radio platform. So sit back, relax, throw in your earbuds, and ask yourself, what's my personal size up? I love it, Lily. Thank you for that. What a great intro into what the size up is all about. Launching April 4th, Pip throws it out there with his first guest on the size up, and that is moi, me. I am his first guest. It's going to be a killer discussion. We've already recorded it, and I know for a fact it's going to bring tremendous value. So I'm looking forward to the size up. That's going to be once a week, every Tuesday. The size up will be on the National Fire Radio channel. Check him out over on social media as well. The size up as well as thanks for tuning in. And the only way we can do this, the only way we can push this job forward together is if we get the partners involved. And the partners are our sponsors. So do me a favor, sit back and give a listen to some of the sponsors who allow us to do what we do. Our first sponsor of the podcast, Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew from Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing metal helmet fronts since 2017. With over 200,000 metal fronts in the market, they are a leader in the metal helmet front space. Their creativity, as well as customer service, sets them apart from the competition. They are manufacturing one-offs within 24 to 48 hours to ship to your door. Not only that, but head over to taylorstins.com and you'll see all the other products that they offer. Right now on their homepage, they have a whole page dedicated to vintage metal prints. It's so cool to see the original prints of the fire apparatus, fire hydrants, fire helmets, fire boots, flashlights. It's so cool. They are printed metal tins that hang on the wall that are aged and look to be from the original days of when these prints were drawn looking for copyright and trademarks. It's really cool. Taylor and his crew are super creative. They're always pushing the envelope as to what products they offer to the fire service. Check them out at www.taylorstins.com. That's again, taylorstins.com to get a hold of Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. This episode's brought to you by the 2448 Podcast. 
If you're a first responder with an entrepreneurial streak, check out the 2448 podcast. Hosted by Sam Massa, who built lighting company Hi-Viz LEDs. During his off time, he serves as a volunteer firefighter and professional EMT. Each week, we tell the stories of different first responder-owned businesses, from small startups to food trucks to companies like National Fire Radio and Fire Department Coffee. Available anywhere you listen to podcasts, go to the2448.com for more information. That's www.the2448.com for more information about this killer podcast. And if you're coming FDIC this year, join us in booth 13073, right by the entrance in the main hallway where National Fire Radio, yes, us, in conjunction with the 2448 podcast, will be teamed up for live shows throughout the duration of FDIC. It's going to be a killer week out in Indy. Join us at booth 13073 right in the main hallway where you come right into the convention center. We're going to be right there live broadcasting throughout the week. Come see us. Guys, thanks for checking it out. Check out the 2448 podcast. And now without further ado, the daily episode. Everyone, thank you very much for joining us tonight. So I want to go over a few things um, before we get started. First, I want to introduce Mike Leonard of the New London Fire Department, uh, the New London Firefighters Burn Foundation. That's why we're here tonight. It is a fundraiser. Uh, the guys at the door have tickets. Please reach into your pockets, support the Burn Foundation. That's why we're here tonight. We appreciate your support. Mike, thank you for having us real quick. Thank you guys all for coming tonight. Um, our foundation, you know, indirectly you're all helping yourselves potentially, hopefully never, but we support firefighters with burn injuries, uh, children, families, anybody. If you ever have someone in your town uh, with a burn injury, you can reach out to our foundation and uh, we can help support them. Uh, each year we also support a summer camp for children uh, that's out of Union, Connecticut, and uh, also a winter camp up in Portland. So uh, this is how we make our money to uh, run our foundation. So uh, thank you all for being here tonight. And thank you to these three guys for uh, doing what they do to get you here. So thank you, enjoy, and uh, again, have a good night. Great, Mike, thank you very much for having us, brother. Appreciate it, and to the new London firefighters that are here, thank you very much. Uh, real quick, I just want to introduce these two fine gentlemen. Uh, we have Captain Nick Esposito out of the Bridgeport, Connecticut Fire Department, 24 years with the city of Bridgeport, uh, currently serving as a captain of the rescue company. He's also the author and proprietor of Truck Tactics on social media. Nick, welcome. And then to my left, I have uh, Lieutenant Mickey Farrell out of the FDMY. Uh, what do I have for you? 22 years with the FDMY. He is the author of Top Floor Tactics. Both these gentlemen travel around the country teaching and talking and spreading the good word about the job. And so, Mickey, thanks for joining us tonight, brother. Appreciate it. And for myself, I'm just going to be moderating tonight. Hopefully, they speak more, I speak less. They bring everything to the table. Uh, I'm Jeremy. I'm a, the host of the National Fire Radio podcast and social media platform. Uh, we, are, we set out five years ago to protect the integrity of the job and talk about why the job is still good, capturing the stories of the senior man, capturing the stories of the brothers and sisters on the job to propel the job forward. And that's solely my mission, is to make this job better and leave it better than I found it. So thank you for dealing with me tonight. Appreciate that. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate that. 
Can you guys hear us okay? Just in the back and everything? All right, don't be afraid. I just want to go over ground rules real quick. It's super simple. Um, we're starting a few minutes late, so we're going to go for about probably an hour. We'll see how the conversation goes, but it should be pretty good and active. We're going to go for probably hour, hour and a half, and then we're going to do Q&A after that. So if you guys have a question towards the end, I'll start you know, working the crowd, and, and if you guys have questions, you're more than welcome to share it, uh, and then these guys will be able to uh, give you your, their opinions on it, and we'll go from there. Um, other than that, I do want to just hit on two other things. We hit on the 50-50, the vendors. We have sponsors here tonight. Please support the sponsors that are here. They're right around the corner. Please go over and say hello. Uh, we have Strategic Safety Dynamics, First Choice Safety Solutions, who's here tonight. Uh, we have MES Shipments. And they're here as well. And then we have the South County Auto. Uh, the spot and 10-3 Graphics. I need to mention 10-3 Graphics as well. Um, for those sponsors, just a quick round of applause. They helped out tonight. Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, and other than that, we're going to get started. So the format of how I like to moderate, I'm going to wander and work the floor. I'm going to let these guys, we're going to throw some softballs up to them. We're just going to dive in and go after a few topics and conversations. If anything strikes a chord with you, save it to the end, and we'll do Q&A at the end, like I said. Um, tonight's title, the flyer that went out for the support of this event, was the Tri-State Firefighters Experience Matters Seminar. 24 years, 22 years with, an urban with urban departments, experience certainly does matter. But what is experience? What does experience look like? It comes in many different forms this day. And so we're going to open the conversation tonight about experience and what experience looks like. So uh, Nick, with you, you got two years on Mickey on the job. So you're going to start, man. Seniority matters in my world. So what is experience? How does a new guy know what experience is? How does he know when he has experience? How does the old guy deal with people with a lack of experience? And that whole wonderful conversation, let's dive in and start there. All right, so first and foremost, everybody, thank you for coming. Uh, we do appreciate it. Uh, the, the fundraiser's uh, quite successful, so that's awesome. So experience, you know, it's hard to manufacture experience. You know, not everybody's on a busy company. Not everybody's in the busiest place in their own fire department. So a lot of it means you really have to pay attention to your surroundings, understand what's going on. You need to be able to not be afraid to engage other folks and ask questions. If you don't have people in your fire department that you can talk to um, and reach out and get experience or understanding from um, that kind of knowledge, then you really do have to start to look outside. Um, I know some folks don't like the interwebs. I'm a big fan of properly uh, positioned social media in the fire service. I think that there's a lot of good information that can be gotten from there. It's very important though to make sure that you understand where you are and how you operate may not be the way that somebody operates halfway across the country, uh, but you can take those experiences that you see that somebody else is having and try to understand how they would fit in to your own environment. It's important to understand though that you can't have somebody else's experiences. You can learn from it, you can make some, some decisions from it, you know, you can decide how that would work or how it could make things better for you, but at the same time, um, you, you just can't think that what you're seeing there um, is is yours as well certainly go out and get the training right and, and and you know talking to folks coming to things like this going to hands-on trainings i think are very important um but you know you really have to be um eyes open kind of keep your mouth shut a little bit and really pay attention and and listen to what's going on pay attention to what people are saying pay attention to what people aren't saying and what they're doing and then it's going to kind of help you to set a foundation to allow you to be ready 
to kind of learn and grow within the fire service. Check, check. <laughs> it's very odd to talk into a microphone to a, to a room like this, but so experience. I think we're kind of caught up in the idea that experience might be the amount of fires you go to. I tend to think it's more of about the fires that you go to people with. And it's a collaboration of a series of mistakes that are made throughout your career. And when you compile them together, eventually over time, you gain experience. But everyone's experience is a little bit different. And I think that comes from understanding the, the, the humility of the job and developing that into one's experience from experiences that you fail at. No one talks about the failures. I think if we start identifying the failures, experience will come naturally. So a big thing that we say at work, or at least I do, is uh, you have to set up an atmosphere where it's okay to fail. And I mean that in training, right? If you go out and you train, and every time you train, everything goes great, or every time you train, you only do it once, and then you pack the stuff up and then go get your Starbucks or whatever, you're not really learning. And so a lot of times, like say with the, the ladder truck, you know, you take your apparatus out and, you know, maybe the officer says, hey, take the, you know, the third left and set up on the fifth house on the right. Nobody knows what that house is like. It may be the easiest spot to get. It might be the hardest one. But go ahead, position your apparatus like you would if the place was on fire, all right, and then see how that position ended up. Get out of the vehicle, put the outriggers out and down, raise the aerial out, right, stand at that turntable and see what you got. And then have conversations with your crew and see what you didn't get and try to find out, well, geez, had we just pulled up three more feet and then maybe tucked it in two more feet to the right, that would have been a whole lot more productive. What you do then is put it all away and either back the rig up five houses or drive around the block and try to get that new, better position. That's where the transfer and learning is going to come, and that's going to allow you, you know, under the pressure of trying to get that position at a real call to understand what the good position looks like versus the bad position that you took. So it's important, you know, when we train, we don't want to put ourselves out there and, and, and screw things up or show people that we don't know what we're doing. But a lot of times, as Mickey has said, you know, your experience and, and your understanding and, and your ability to perform better on the job isn't based on how good you are. It's actually based on all those little mistakes you made and then how you grew from them right so again in training you really need to create an atmosphere where it's okay to fail here's a super secret maybe you didn't know it but everybody knows you're not as good as you think you are like people know i'm not as good as i might think i am so go out and and do the training and go ahead and make those mistakes and have fun with it but learn from it and grow from it that's experience and then that way when you go out and, and do it either at another training session or for the real thing you're going to be more successful nick you said earlier about the experience coming from social media now, obviously, you're here because you know us probably from social media. Um, it's a very powerful, powerful thing in the fire service. I mean, literally, the senior man is in the palm of all of our hands today. And that's a great thing. But we have to not get so buried into the social media aspect and kind of take the time at the, at the kitchen table and listen to the senior guys tell the same stories over and over and over. But by listening to those stories, his experience will transform into your experience kind of a positive mental toughness of visualizing going to fires, listening to the fires they go to and putting you in that position. I really truly believe that experience can come from visualizing what you're doing. That slogan of saying, act like you've been there before, it's a very real and powerful thing on the fire ground. I think that's kind of 
the way we have to move in today's fire service, because obviously fire duty is down nationwide. We all want to go to fires, but let's visualize ourselves going to fires. Let's gain experience mentally, so when you go to the fires physically, you'll be able to perform. Mick, that's a very good point. Some of my favorite memories in the firehouse is when I had the ability to sit around as a young kid and listen to the storytelling. Those that have been there, they got years on me, they have experience and knowledge that I don't have yet. And I think having that ability to sit back and listen is important. But I also think from the senior man point of view or the experienced man or woman point of view, right, we have to talk about also their willingness to share those stories, right? Sometimes we're, we're, we're finding a bigger disconnect. We're buried in our own stuff these days. And maybe the senior man's not sharing the stories like he used to. Or the senior man is not the old senior man, right? We've heard that before, how the fire service has changed. So it's a two-way street, right? And I'd love to just get your opinions on that. You guys are both 20 plus years on the job. So you're in a more of a senior position now in your career than you were, you know, literally yesterday, right? So as you walk that line, how important is it? And do you recognize how important your job is to pass it forward to those people that are coming up behind you? I think it comes from the senior man, right? So we all have the senior man or the, the senior men, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's the senior guy because every shift or every tour or every group has a senior guy within. I think that upper management of the firehouse turns to that middle management and says, okay, you're the next generation. Let's start developing some of the skills that I've learned over time by pushing back on the younger guys, taking that middle of the road guy and giving them responsibilities, telling them what it takes to be the senior man and telling them and giving them the confidence that it's time to step up and do this because you may have six years on the job, but you're the senior guy working. So they're looking to you for the answer. So I don't think being the senior guy or a seniority or experience necessarily is time or the amount of fires you go to. It's kind of stepping into that position, that role and, and, and just doing the right thing. You know, so a big part of that, a big part that goes along with that is humility. And so I'll speak for my job. We're having a large turnover right now. We're getting a whole lot of new people in, which is great, but we're losing a lot of our senior folks. So, you know, the senior folks that really kind of set the example and the tone, it always looked like they were perfect and they never made a mistake. They didn't start that way. That's how they finished, right? And so for the newer folks that have been suddenly thrust into somewhat of a senior person role, understand that it's okay to make those mistakes, but you have to couple that with humility, right? And a, a big problem that we have with some folks where they, they think, oh, I'm now the senior person or I have X amount of years on, they're overconfident. And that to me is, is a place where you really start to get into the muddy water. Watch what you're doing, pay attention to what you're doing, be very open and objective about the results of what you get and ask yourself, hey, did that, whatever I did, give me the result I had hoped for? And if it didn't, again, that's where this growth is going to come from. Pay attention to what you're doing, ask yourself, hey, how could I have done this better? Should I have done something else? Um, and then from there, that's where that growth will come. You'll get some experience, the humility comes. Mentorship is also a big thing too, and, and we talk about it quite a bit. Um, you, know, you know, mentorship goes a long way in, in helping you to kind of plot that course. Everybody thinks of mentorship, hey, I got on the job and I wanna follow that really good lieutenant and, and see how they're doing and I wanna do everything they're doing. And that's like the selfish but classic 
kind of mentorship. And there's nothing wrong with that, but that's what people usually see. The other mentorship is look side to side, right? So if, if you've got three years, two years, if you're brand new or if you, you know, whatever, you got a lot of time, see how other folks with your same time on are carrying themselves and what are they doing? What are their habits, right? Why are people looking up to them or asking them questions and maybe not asking you questions? And then one other thing I'll say is because I am old, you got to look back, right? Because when you came on the, on the job into the department, you thought you had a lot of things all figured out, even though now you probably realize you didn't, but you didn't listen to the senior people wholly, right? So now that I'm a senior person, I guarantee that the things I say, they're not listening to me wholly. What I need to do is I need to strike up conversations with the newer folks because they have a lot of things that I have no idea about, like watching Jeremy struggle with technology here before, right? Things whoa, like whoa, that. Whoa, 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 whoa. I know, I know, right? Some of the new social norms, things that are going on in society, current events, right? How the neighborhoods are changing or whatever it is that you may not have an understanding of. Talk to these newer folks. They may have information that you don't have. And not only are you going to learn and grow yourself, but now you're opening a line of communication where maybe those new folks won't be afraid to ask you questions. All right, because now that they feel like they have some kind of commonality with you or they feel like they do have suddenly a dialogue that they didn't have before. Mentorship, I feel, is like, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot, especially in the fire service. And I think it's a word that's thrown around, but not fully understood. It's not about the looking up to someone always in the, in the far distance. Very quickly, you come onto the job, and your mentor is your instructor at probie school, the fire academy, whatever it is. And then very quickly, you go to the firehouse, you're a probie, you're doing your right thing, you're looking up to that guy that was there six months before you. But like in a blink of an eye, you're six months in and the next probie's coming back into that firehouse and they're looking to you for the answer. So it happens very quickly. It's not always a long-term game. It's a lot of times with mentorship, it's a short-term game. And that's something we have to keep in mind um, for those of you earlier in your career. The next generation comes within six months, not six years, and they're looking for you for answers. So you guys mentioned humility, which means you recognize yourself. And to be able to make mistakes on this job, it's challenging more than ever because we always feel that the, the spotlight's on us. We don't want to put ourselves in a position where we take or put ourselves out there to accept our own mistakes, which is now accountability, right? Now more than ever, we need to take control and acceptance of who we are on the fire ground, and we need to own our own shit, right? It's the most important thing, right? Because ultimately, integrity matters. We're all gonna make mistakes along the way, right? So I think about the, the 10 to 20 year guy. We often talk about the new, and the senior man, but that 10 to 20 year guy to me is somebody that's gotten their feet wet, they gained a, you know, a good amount of experience, and now they're getting promoted up through the ranks typically today, if not even more so earlier than that, right? But there's a fine line there, and we need to be able to have those people with that 10 to 20 year experience really tutor and mentor that next generation because they're very much in tune and touch with that. And so as bosses, you watch that and the importance for you guys to tutor the generation behind you, that 10, 20 year guy, to watch them now teach the next incoming. How important is that? How important is that as, a, as bosses, right? You're both a captain, Nick, Mickey, you're a lieutenant, to cultivate that attitude in the firehouse that it trickles down through your people 
so that that next newer generation understands the lay of the work, you know, the, the groundwork that's laid that you guys have set forward. So what does that look like for you? I mean, the mentorship programs within your firehouse, instilling those values, what does that look like for you? Um, I'll speak for my job. A lot of it is very accidental. We don't really have formal programs. We don't really have um, structure or policy that, that kind of lights the way. Um, and I'll just speak from my own experiences. Um, it's very difficult because if you want, if you love the job, you want to do the job and, and you get promoted because maybe you want to take on more responsibility. Or for me, I was selfish and I wanted to make sure my company was doing the things I wanted to do that I felt that we weren't doing maybe when I was on the back step. So what happens is now, since I'm in charge, I, I can do anything I want because I'm in charge and nobody's going to tell me not to do it. It's very hard and it took me a while to like take that step back, that two steps back and allow folks to kind of fall in and do the things that they're supposed to do. Because I thought about it and I said, I wouldn't want some old dude telling me or doing my job or, or, or not allowing me to do my job, right? And so it, it is difficult, but, but it really is important. The other thing too is it's almost like raising children. You want them to do well and be protected and do it right. And when we're learning the job, it's very hard to know how to do everything perfect. And so folks that are more senior or folks that are supervisors have to have the patience to allow their folks to go and do the job either differently or not as well, in their opinion, or even just screw it up one time, as long as it's not going to cause some kind of safety problem or a property damage problem. And then that's how those folks are going to learn. And it is a little bit hard for senior people maybe to, to allow that to happen or for officers or even senior officers to let newer officers kind of go out and, and spread their wings and kind of get their legs uh, beneath them I think there's a relationship between the officer and the senior guy and that comes a lot of times where that senior guy is probably your chauffeur many times so sitting in the front seat you develop that bond that that camaraderie where a good firehouse really the officer doesn't have much to do with any of that it comes from the men the culture the traditions of that house that would make so many great houses even better and some of the other houses that aren't so good, it kind of comes from that connection of the officer to the senior guy. You want to work in a firehouse where the senior guy runs the firehouse, the men run the firehouse. And by having him set the example, that's sure for success in the long run. So at least in my job, I'm just there to pay the men in reality. The men run the firehouse and they develop that culture. They build that tradition, that pride. And that transfers from the fire floor to the kitchen and everything in between. And that's the beauty of getting promoted is to sit back and kind of watch it all develop. And that's what I found so far that I'm really enjoying is just watching the senior guy really take that role and craft the younger members into who he is, how he wants the company to run. And together, that'll promote your company to be that much better in the long run. So, Mick, on that then, uh, unless, Nick, you had something else to add. I do, actually. Excellent points. So... Um, there's a lot of things going on now that probably didn't go on 10, 15, 20 years ago. Social media, cell phones, everybody videos everything. We all just videoed stuff and immediately went out across the world. The firehouse used to be a sanctuary. It used to be a safe place where you could kind of be yourself and have the protection of, of just knowing that you could trust the people around you. And now, unfortunately, it seems like a lot of that's been broken down. Also, I think a lot of times... Uh, agencies are becoming more flat because if the senior folks 
don't play the senior role if you have weak officers or if you have an administration that you believe doesn't care suddenly everybody's the same and and it really is a responsibility and i don't mean this in a negative way but know your role and and that's two ways if you're new right really embrace this environment this new home that you have and figure out how the family works if you're senior or if you're an officer figure out where your place is in this family right and if it means that sooner or later somebody has to be in charge guess what somebody has to be in charge it doesn't mean that you micromanage the place but you kind of have to set that tone that this hierarchy does work if we have certain problems let's work out it work it out as a group senior folks and all that right respect them and understand that if there's problems in the house that can't be handled by the senior folks then you can come to the officers but if it's just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's wrong just because you don't like something doesn't mean it needs to change take a little bit of time swim around in it for a little bit and see what it's all about and maybe you'll finally understand why things are done a certain way yes we 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 hate change and we don't want to change things and it seems like everybody wants to suddenly change things but again if you don't know why things are done a certain way learn that way first either why it's done that way or give it a try before you suddenly come in and think you're smarter than the average bear and try to change the whole place and put the world on its side those are great points Nick. and what i'm thinking when you're saying that the whole time is that there is a pecking order in the firehouse it starts from the the bottom and it goes up but it should never get to the office and that's kind of where we're going wrong in today's fire service they're, they're skipping the pecking order because they're scared they don't want to hear the right answer you go to the senior guy, they're going to tell you what you don't want to hear. So how do you get around that? You go to the officer. The officer doesn't want to hear it. That's the bottom line. The officer's there to protect you from the chiefs, the hierarchy of the job, and to command you and lead you on the fire floor. Everything else should be taken care of amongst the pecking order within the firehouse. So that's something that we have to work on, I think, across the nation, is that there is a pecking order, there's middle management, there's the probies, and then there's the senior guys. So let's follow that chain of command. Even though we all get paid the same, we all wear the same uniform when you're below the officer, but there is a pecking order and there is a chain of command that has to be followed. So let me just add one more thing. And that, that's all great points. And, and so understand something. Like say you work in a, a, a two-person station or a three-person station or a four-person station and you don't have this, this pecking order, this hierarchy, this structure in place because you don't have what it appears to be an ideal senior person. You don't have a really good officer. Try to figure out how to make your own culture instead of just trying to flip the place on its side, right? If you know what the place is supposed to look like because you're talking to your friends that are in another house or on another shift, instead of trying to like flip the apple cart over, really try to, to set your own tone, right? And try to make the environment there better. And then maybe since you're leading from example from the bottom, you may just start to swing the ship back and maybe the other people will kind of jump in and buy in. It, it can happen both ways. Okay, so after that last five-minute rant, like, I don't even know where to go. There's so many, like, incredibly valid points there. I think what's really interesting, though, I want to circle back real quick. I think today, with the amount of travel I do, the, the, the amount of firefighters I meet and the fire departments I go to, you always hear this thing about the job is trending younger. You guys both come from traditional urban departments that are very... Uh, tons of pride within meaning how you guys operate. That Mickey, that pecking order you talk about, that doesn't happen in probably 70% of the fires. Should, maybe used to, but there's a lot of people, I can guarantee you there's a ton of people in this room tonight that are in departments that struggle with that informal 
pecking order of today. Whether we're promoting people up the line too soon, people find themselves in a senior man position, quote unquote, that they weren't ready for or thrusted into it. And so that informalness requires people to have real hard conversations, which means accountability for one another. It's a struggle. I'm sure a lot of people struggle with that within their departments, and I'm sure a lot of people wish they worked for departments that have that structure put in place. For departments that don't, and Nick, I agree with you 100%, figure it out before you try to change it, right? I think we have to speak about the importance of investing your time into your department before, or your company before you try to make change. Spend time there and learn the ways, the ins and outs before you form your opinions and want to move forward, right? And so that informalness, what are some words of advice to guys that are in departments right now that find themselves with a lack of that informal leadership? A department where guys are in it for themselves, they don't care about the culture, they don't care about pushing the company forward, they care about themselves because that is a very common theme. How do we or what are some things that you might be able to offer to just say, hey guys, sit back, take a second and think about it this way. Can you guys, you know, I'll just put you on the spot like that in front of everyone. First and foremost, you have to be durable. This isn't gonna happen overnight and you're not gonna change everything. So there's, there's kind of two places to start. One, start with yourself, the way you carry yourself, wear your uniform, the way you, you respond, you wear your gear, the way you carry yourself, you look at your community when you're, when you're out walking around, going to, for a sandwich or going on a run, right? Be professional, set that tone. If you feel like in your house, your station, there's a total lack of culture or fire service, whatever, just pick one thing. Don't pick a bunch of things, pick one thing. And, and do your best to see that one thing through. Understand this, everybody's watching everybody. And so if they're watching you and suddenly they realize, hey, they're wearing their pack, oh my God, right? Their, their, their hood is on, they're wearing their gloves when they get off the rig, they always have their tools, their tools aren't rusty and dirty, right? Um, hey, they cleaned up the firehouse and they painted that one wall and now they're putting pictures on it, right? Next thing you know, when you're doing whatever you're doing, suddenly you're not alone, somebody else is jumping in. That's how culture starts and that's kind of how you can start to turn this thing around. You have to have the patience and really just start with one thing and, and focus on that and folks will watch and once they, they believe in what you're doing, they'll buy in as well. So like Jeremy said, I'm very grateful for that pecking order I have, that, that culture in the New York City Fire Department is special. And I know, I know not everyone has that, and I'm, and I'm very grateful for that. If you struggle with that, I don't think it starts in the firehouse. I think it starts with the families. Maybe some dinners, picnics, dances. Build that camaraderie, that, that family outside the firehouse, so when you go back to the firehouse, it's already built, there's a foundation. Unfortunately, as time goes on, and, and where we are today in this country, I feel like the firehouse parties, events, softball teams are kind of dying. That was the thing that was in the past. That was my father's generation. Even earlier in my career, that was the part of that generation. Um, today, we just don't do it. How many times did you have, a, you see pictures from the 80s with the softball team from the firehouse. Now you can't get two guys to show up to do anything. So I think by going back to the foundation and building from the ground up, that will parlay into the firehouse life, that culture you're trying to build. Um, I don't think it's necessarily 
pulling the tool off the rig and drilling on it, because those guys are already gone. They're not there, they're not coming. You can lead a horse to water, that old saying, but they're not there, mentally. But by building that foundation of knowing their children, going to the communion, going to the weddings, now when you come to work, it's a different atmosphere, because you're all friends, you're truly our family. Um, I always say, if you take care of this job, I promise you it'll take care of you and your family tenfold down the road. But yeah, that starts from understanding who everyone is. On the fire floor, if you don't have that pecking order, that, that relationship, that respect, that honor, I believe that you may not make that next room. But if you know everyone's kids' names, you're at the communion, you may make that next room to get the job done together as a team. Um, I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's the answer I have sitting here thinking about what Jeremy said and how grateful I am for that. But if you do struggle, I think probably it starts with um, starting at home with the family and building from there. Buy-in. I'm 100% a believer in buy-in, and we need people to buy. You guys don't know where I am right now. You're looking. <laughs> but <laughs> it's buy-in, right? We want our people to buy-in. We need our departments, our companies to take care of our people. When we bring people into the firehouse, when we bring people into the fire service, we expect them to give everything to the fire service, right? We expect them to abide, learn, be a part of it, push it forward. But oftentimes the job lets the individual down. So we're always telling the individual to put themselves all in. But the job needs to be all in on our people. And I think sometimes the job falls, I think a lot of times the job falls down on that. With a career volunteer, it doesn't matter where you come from. Fire company, volunteer fire company to the, to the busiest urban company. Sometimes the department falls down on the people. And so we need to find that fine balance, but durability, like Nick said, I think is super important. I think we need to be resilient, and I, need, I, I think that you know, in the long game, like Mickey said, buy into it, believe in it, and it will take care of you tenfold. I think those are very valuable points. Let's go ahead. Just real quick. Please. One of the, yeah, no, do it. It's very hard to walk into a firehouse that's full of culture and then suddenly you're all brought up into it, right? Most times, the only way culture is created, the only way culture is preserved is with hard work. And, and you have to kind of start and look at it there. To everything that Mickey's saying, you know, if, if you jump into a place that has a lot of it, that's great, but it's on you to be 110% engaged and involved. Otherwise, you're not going to get up to speed. And so places that don't have culture, you be the one, plant a flag and start. I love it. Let's change gears a little bit, circle back. We hit on a couple different things. You guys are both bosses in your jobs, captain, lieutenant. It's kind of a little bit of a difference, right? So Nick, you've been in that position now for several years. Mickey, you're a newly promoted lieutenant. So I'd love to just pick your brains a little bit. I'm sure there's a lot of people here that have been in seniority roles, management, administration, line officers, and then there's people that are aspiring to or newly promoted people or people that found themselves sitting in the right front seat that maybe doesn't think they should be there yet but they've gotten promoted there or moved up to that seat. They've been thrusted into that position. I love your takes a little bit about where you are. The, the, the learning process, Mick, when it comes to being a new boss, and Nick, the stories or experiences you've learned over time and not just the job, but managing people and so on. I think there's a very good storytelling here between your two different styles and approaches and the longevity and the short-term Mick with you going from the front left seat to the front right seat 
and Nick being in that front reef, front right seat for some time now, I'd love to just pick your brains a little bit on your leadership, on what it's like to be uh, a boss in that seat for a few years versus somebody that just came in. If I have to start picking, I will. Nick, go ahead. All right, I'll start. Um, <clears throat> you know, so I, I think a lot of it really does become accidental. I, I think a, a big part of it as um, I've been an officer now for, I think, 15 years. So the officer that I was in 08 or whatever that was to the officer today is really two very different people. What I realized is that um, as a captain, so we have lieutenants and we have captains. So being promoted twice, um, you, you by default get a certain amount of street cred. It takes you no time to lose it. But, but by having that second bar, it, it does allow you to kind of have a presence either in conversations in firehouses or, or at fire scenes. And so what I found, particularly as a, a more senior officer now, which is even weird for me to say, but as a senior officer now, um, what I realize is that it's my job to create safe spaces for folks to be willing to put themselves out there to do the job. What, what I mean by that is I need to defend them when somebody comes in and tells them you can't do that. When they're doing the thing they're supposed to be doing, right? It's my job to say, no, we're doing this, right? And, and encourage them to do the things that we want them to do. That way, when I'm not there, they're gonna realize that, hey, they're supposed to step up and do that job. So environments like that are what are important. It's also on me to be the one to say, hey, you know what, folks? It is time to go. Right, and when they don't want to go, you say, hey, I said we're going, right? Because sometimes they just don't see what you see, they don't understand, or they just don't feel that thing that you feel, and you can't even tell what the hell you're feeling, but you just know it looked bad, smell bad, taste bad, feel bad, so guess what? It must be bad, right? And so that's really where it is, because what happens is with newer folks, with newer officers, there is that tunnel vision where you wanna go, 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 and do, 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 and what you don't realize is that you're actually performing in an arena, and things are going on in that arena that you may not see. So as a senior officer, now that higher level of that vis visualization kind of has allowed me to understand a lot of that stuff better. So I, I found that I do a lot better laying back and allowing those, those people to perform. Being a young officer, man, <laughs> anyone who says they're ready for the job, they're lying to you. I did 21 years in the back step, and then a year ago I got promoted, and uh, I still don't have the hang of it. It's one of those things that I have so much respect now for the officers I've ever worked for. And of course, I take so many great, um, just great techniques, great leadership styles, great love and compassion and loyalty for their men from these, from these great men I've, I've worked under for so many years. I've also taken some notes that you work with some really bad officers throughout your career as well. It goes both ways. Um, but there's a lot of humility. We keep going back to that word humility, but I've never been more humiliated in my life as going to fires now and realizing I kind of can figure it out, but I'm not as confident as I was with the irons, the OV, the roof. That was natural. Didn't think twice about it. It's your second nature. Now being in charge of so many people, just your company alone, it, it's kind of mind-blowing. Um, leadership is definitely a choice, not a rank, but it's uh, a choice that shouldn't be taken lightly. You, you have to do it for the right reasons. Uh, I almost went back to being a firefighter. And I had a long talk with some friends, some mentors are mine, 
And it was simply because, yes, I missed the guys. It's something I always knew. It was easy. But that challenge so far in my career, it was hard to swallow that you're making mistakes left and right. Every mistake we go, or every fire we go to, we make mistakes. 20 years, two days in the job, we're making mistakes. That's how we get better. But when I was realizing I was making more stakes, mistakes as an officer, I got frustrated with myself and was kind of thinking, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe the back step is, is better. I'm more comfortable. I'm better, better suited to, to teach from the back step rather than lead from the front. Um, but like with anything in life, you learn from your mistakes. And the more mistakes I've made, I'm realizing very quickly that it's the right spot for me. It's like a fine wine, right? You pop that cork, it has to breathe for a bit. But I'm actually now, after a year in, I'm starting to enjoy that wine, starting to lead the men the proper way. And it comes from having that great crew, that, that, that senior guy, that chauffeur to lead the way. Uh, but man, it gets a challenge, and uh, I don't know how you got so far so quickly, but it's, uh, I'm learning every day from it. So being a, a young new officer, it's humbling. It really is. And I'll leave it at that because I'm new at it. I don't have much to say about it. Cool. So let's let's talk about this then. I know it's important to both of you to understand, and we've said it now, I think two or three times tonight about where we fit in. You know, taking accountability of yourself, understanding your role, understanding your position, whether in the fire ground or the hierarchy within the fire company, right? Those things matter. I know you two speak about this. I'd love to hear and for you guys to share your take on how important it is to know where you fit in, what your position is, um, and go from there. Because I, I know you two are passionate about that topic. So, Mick, maybe we could start with you on that. Mickey? Nick, Mick. So Mick and Nick, yeah. Just to clarify, Jeremy, what was that? <laughs> Can you repeat that? I'd love to. Thanks for paying attention. So, <laughs> what? Now I'm busting balls. So, no, you, you guys often talk about knowing your position. You guys just talked about young officer, officer that's been in the seat for several years finding his way, right? And how you find your way. It's all about finding your position, finding the right position, the right spot you, where you belong where you belong, when you belong, how you fit in, how you can foresee what's coming and put yourself in that equation to make it better, more effective, put yourself in the position you need to be in. Talk to me a little bit about that. So are we talking the fire ground or the, or, or the firehouse? Don't care. <laughs> I'll talk about the fire ground. Good, talk about the fire ground. All right. So for so many years in the truck, I believe in the flow state formula. And for those of you that follow me on, on Instagram, I'm constantly talking about the flow state formula, right? Cadence, rhythm, tempo. Everything we do at a fire it has to kind of be coinciding with one another. Um, I've kind of adapted that to a time signature within music. So subconsciously, we have to be able to identify that every fire has a different tempo. I think we all know that. But then there's a cadence and rhythm behind it. Being in the truck, I was pretty dialed in in my tempo for many years. There wasn't too many fires that skewed my tempo. Now being a young officer, trying to fit in commanding an engine company, it's been a huge challenge for me. After a few fires, I've realized that I was out of position, beating myself up, trying to figure out why wasn't I in the right place. When I say out of position, I wasn't on the floor below or outside uh, with mask trouble. I was just wasn't had the same cadence. And I learned very quickly that cadence is more of a march. The engine company is the infantry of the fire service, always progressively moving forward into position. 
as the officer, I was out of position because I was with the truck officer because that was my tempo. The tempo being more of a dance. So together, if we can come together on the fire floor and find that natural rhythm, that's where it all becomes beautiful. That's what makes professional firefighters, not a paycheck, not staffing. It's finding that rhythm amongst the engine company and the truck company progressively moving forward on the fire floor. That, as a young officer, I'm struggling with. But I'm starting to understand it. And that comes from backing up, finding that tempo, taking that tactical breath that fires, and realizing, okay, these are my men, I'm with them. I'm not with the truck anymore. And that came from a few fires and mistakes. Um, so as far as fitting in, fitting in the fire ground, I think it just comes from understanding where you fit in, but understanding where you fit in within a rhythmic state of fire flow. And the mic drop. Um, I don't like sports analogies, but I, I use this one. I believe everything that Mickey said, and, I, and it absolutely is true. If you think about football, and I again, if you're if you're the running back and you're the best running back going, and you just know it, and you're the root and tootinous running back, and all you want to do is get that ball and run and run and run, you can't do it if you don't let your line take that 0 .5, 0 .7, 1.2 seconds it takes to clear a hole for you. So, like for me, when I was newer, and I probably still do it now, I do dumb stuff, but. I had to learn to be patient to let the other units, the other firefighters, do what they needed to do to allow me to be successful. Big problem with going to conferences, like especially hands-on stuff, a lot of times you go by yourself. Nobody else from your department's there. And you learn all this great stuff and you're the root and toot and tip of the spear firefighter and you wanna go home and you just can't wait to, to learn how to, you know, to, to apply that hose stretch or the ladder throw or whatever. But if, like where I am, we send 30 some odd people to a fire, if the other 29 people aren't moving at the same cadence and tempo, then I'm doing everything wrong, even though what I believe I'm doing is right. And so no matter how good you think you are or, or how fast you think you can do something, if the rest of the group isn't working in that same tempo and cadence, you're doing it wrong. And that's hard for some people to accept because a lot of times they think we got to be fast and it's for them and all this stuff. And it all is. But fast is a relative term, right? It's relevant to the rest of your team, your group. And that's what's important for folks to understand. And so for somebody, in, and for Mick's point, he was on a truck and now all of a sudden he has to change and work at that engine pace, right? truck people and rescue people run real fast and then run into doors it takes them too long to force and then engine folks it takes them too long to stretch but when they stretch set it up for success that thing flies and they get right in and do really great work so you have one group that wants to go real fast and then they get slowed up by an obstruction and then you have a group that has to move slow in order for them to move fast and it took me a little while to learn that very well said both of you you talk about fast we talked about aggressive before the word aggressive came up while we were going over our notes earlier. I love your point of view, Mickey, on aggressiveness. What is aggressiveness? I don't believe aggressive firefighting is really a thing. Everybody wants to be an aggressive firefighter, aggressive interior attack. That, that word aggressive gets thrown around. Let's be realistic about it, though. Aggressive firefighting is simply just a, a collaboration of mistakes that are mastered over time. And when you can master those mistakes, that's where aggressiveness comes into play. You can't teach aggressiveness in the fire academy. You can't teach it in the kitchen table. 
It comes from going to fires, which people don't want to hear. It comes from going to fires and making mistakes at those fires, bringing those mistakes back to the firehouse, hot washing, tailboard talk, whatever it is that slogan you use, but capitalizing on your mistakes collectively, not individually, and then taking that aggressiveness mindset to the next level as a company standard. That, to me, is where aggressive firefighting comes from. I agree. Doing things fast isn't being aggressive, in my opinion. We can't do things fast until we have a really good read and understanding of the entire problem that we're faced with. And then when we're applying whatever we're trying to do, it has to fit in with the rest, as we had discussed before. So I'm a big fan, and I say offensive and aggressive isn't a dirty word. It's not reckless and dangerous. But there's a ton of responsibility that comes with that and a lot of humility and a lot of growth, right, and, and, and reflection to know that what you're doing is appropriate and timely based on what everything else is going on on your fire scene. Love it. Where do we want to go from here? Um, let's talk about maybe confidence, lack thereof, or overconfidence. We were chatting about it before. We were going over some notes, some talking points, and so on. We were talking about leadership. You guys talked about your, you know, being a new leader versus somebody that's been there for a few years. We talked about the job is scaling younger, which is pushing people up the line quicker. We talk about leadership. When, leadership, when people are put into leadership positions and lack confidence, that usually gets filtered down the line. Meaning a boss that's not confident in her own skills and abilities certainly will not let their people work. And so there's that micromanagement. I hate that term, but that's a thing, right? And so we have bosses that don't let their people work. The common theme tonight has been let your people work. Let's be firefighters. Let's be professionals. Let's move forward. I think a lot of people struggle with this topic. I think that we have leaders that lack confidence, lack abilities, lack skills. What are some words of encouragement to those that are maybe in those companies or positions that are dealing with managers that are keeping them back? We have administration that's not pushing their people forward, lacking on training or excitement or drive and desire. We have go-getters here. This room tonight is not the group that needs to hear this. The group that's here tonight knows what you're talking about. That's why they're here tonight. So the message that needs to be spread from here is how do we move forward and spread this to the guys sitting next to us in the back seat? And so I guess my question is, some words of encouragement or advice to those that are struggling in the job right now, that lack leaders that lead, that lack administrators that push their department forward. What are some words of encouragement or things they can do to set themselves up for personal success within this job? In the firehouse and administratively, administratively, I don't believe there really is a way around that. There's rank and file. It is what it is. But if you're a young, motivated firefighter doing the right thing and you happen to have a, a couple officers maybe that it's not so confident on the fire ground, when you go out the door and go to a fire, I don't care what bar is on your collar, you're doing the wrong thing, you're out of the mix. Don't, don't, I shouldn't say don't listen to your officer. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that if he's leading you the wrong way, Take it for what it is and do what the right way is. Represent your company. It's your company. Officers, they come and go. The men, the women, that's the company. That's the pride. That's what's being represented at that fire. Again, officers come and go. 
analogy I go over all the time with my junior guys, if I'm not there and we have a covering officer and they're not doing the right thing and say they go to a multiple alarm fire and a lot of times you have a guy that kind of hangs back. Maybe he doesn't want to go to a fire. He's on overtime. He's not from that battalion, that division. He's just there for the day. I tell him, go to the command post and tell him, one truck, we're here. Chief, what's up? What do you need us to do? Making that eye contact is very, very critical. Go to the command post as a firefighter and represent your company. Don't wait for the covering officer to do it. Don't wait for that officer that lacks the confidence to go do it. Because if that's the case, you'll never be able to go to work. Take initiative. Become the leadership within the company. You don't need a bar on your collar to be a leader. Leadership comes from within many times. As far as the firehouse, rank and file, you have to follow. You go out the door, all bets are off in my opinion. So we probably all have had at least one, if not more, of those officers that just don't get it. They're just not into it. And no matter what, you know, if the big neon arrow said go left, they always go right. Um, so there's some things that you can do. We, you know, when I was a young firefighter, a buddy of mine had a really bad officer. I was lucky I didn't have that officer, but he, he said, hey, I set my officer up for success. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, you know, he just takes his gear and throws it on the floor. So when he's not looking, I set up his turnout gear for him so it's nice and easy to get on so he doesn't have that excuse anymore. He's slow to get to the rig. Back in the day, we had map books. He would open up the page to the proper map book page for the officer before the officer came down and knew it. If the officer was staring, standing there either because they didn't want to do anything or they didn't know what to do, have some verbal jujitsu. Hey, Lou, what do you think about, or hey, the last time we were here, you did this, remember that? The next thing you know, they start to believe their own BS, and suddenly you're doing the stuff that you're trying to do. You're kind of wagging the, the dog, and, and I know that that's not the best way to do it, but sometimes that's what you have to do, right? And, and if you show that ownership, right, then maybe that'll kind of help, you know, because if the officer's not confident, it's funny, when you're sitting in the back seat looking backwards, like, it's so obvious what you're supposed to do, and, and you're like, why did they do that? Right. I had an officer that I swear, no matter what we did, he always did the wrong thing. And I and he was a, a, a temporary officer. So when I got my regular officer back, I said to my regular officer, I said, man, I'm, I'm so glad you're back. But just understand, I learned so much more from the bad officer than I've ever learned from you. And the reason was because every time we went on a call with my good officer, everything just went right. And I thought that that's the way it was supposed to go, right? And so, you know, a lot of times folks just don't have it. You can't love it for them. You can't love it more than them. If you do, that's fine. Just understand you're going to get bit. But again, set your officer up for success. Do those things that you can do to try to bring them into the fold. Try to convince them that they're a part of this thing, this culture that you're trying to create. It is very difficult, but uh, sometimes that's what you have to do because we don't get to pick our bosses. Love it. Chess, not checkers. It's a long game, right? Firefighting? I mean, it's a career. It's a lifestyle, right? And so if it is a career, a career is throughout many years to get to your peak performance or your maximum effort and, and become proficient. Chess, not checkers, right? So playing chess and the job being a long game, I think many people today are trying to hurry the job along, trying to hurry their experience trying to be bigger or better than they truly are. And I think that that can certainly affect the job, affect your career, and maybe it's being treated as a job and not a career. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the longevity of this, what a true career looks like, the fact that it is a long game, 
and the fact that we make mistakes along the way. Mickey, maybe you could hit on that for me about the importance of making this a long game. I often talk about falling in love with the process. It's a slogan on my T-shirt. I mean, what I mean by that is simply love this job in the moment. Not all moments are the great moments, but if you find the love for it, it'll always be there. In probie school, we can't wait to get to the field. You get to the field, maybe you go to an engine company. You can't wait to cross the floor. Taking details on the floor, drilling with the guys, oh, I can't wait to cross the floor. You get to the truck. Now, your eyes are looking further. Maybe the squad, maybe the rescue, maybe promotion, but you're looking for the next step, and we're always rushing it. If anything I learned in my career, just slow down and take every moment for what it is, because before you know it, it's over. Ask any of the senior guys in here. Before you know it, it's over. So falling in love with the process is the good and bad. The good tours, the bad tours. The 14 runs after midnight, when you're like, what am I doing in this company? You're looking back, you learned on those 14 runs, maybe you learned on every one of those runs. It's just being in the moment. And I can't stress that enough, don't rush it. But by rushing it, oftentimes, you're out of position, not only on the fire ground, but in your career. That tempo on the fire ground I was speaking of, that's also the career path of your future. Everything happens for a reason. Good guys gravitate to great, great places in the fire service, but it has to happen organically. It has to happen naturally. And when we rush those, those, that love for the job, you realize you're out of position, not only on the fire ground, but in your career. You know, one thing to keep in mind is if you are in one of those running companies and it seems like you're just doing a bunch of BS and you're not doing the fun stuff, Understand that's not a singular experience. What I mean by that is if you have one other, two other, three other people or whatever on your company, you've all experienced that. And that starts to build, whether you realize it or not, some of that teamwork camaraderie in the culture. That's a, a suck that you all experienced and made it through. So it's okay to talk about that. And now you have those opportunities to learn and grow and take those experiences. So I love engine work, it's like the super secret, even though I really enjoyed my time on the truck and I really enjoy my time on the rescue now. The, the, the reality is that when I was uh, a young firefighter on an engine company, going to fires and making pushes, a lot of the housing stock in my city is very similar. So, you know, I would think I'm going to the same fire as I did last week or last month. How come this one went different? And so what I realized is when I started to pay attention to what was going on, maybe I screwed something up. Maybe I didn't do something right. Maybe I wasn't in the proper cadence, right, or tempo. Also, what I learned was if I was the recipient of either well-timed or well-placed horizontal or vertical ventilation, that had a play in my success. So suddenly I understood and appreciated the work of the truck before I was even there, right? And so if I couldn't make that push and I realized, hey, the truck had a hard time getting to the rear, the truck had a hard time getting to the roof, now I understood fast forward getting to a truck, the importance of getting to the rear, the importance of getting to the roof, the importance of making a communication and saying, you know, ladder five roof to command, I'm having a hard time getting to the rear, 
right? And that tells everybody, hey, maybe that means ventilation is going to be delayed and that changes things. But by having the experience of being on that engine company and going through the goods and the bads of it allowed me to have a greater appreciation for where that truck work fit in and how that truck work would benefit me when I went to do my thing. So again, be patient with that growth. Going off that, Nick, and I love that you said that. Love it. I never take anything away from firefighters that get assigned to a truck company out of probing school. However, I truly believe the better firefighters are the ones that start in the engine. It's an honor to be in a truck as well as an engine, but with the engine, you're learning critical, critical factors that will transform on the fire floor. Time is a tool in this job, and we learn how to use it. It's very valuable, but we can't learn time if we don't understand it. Understanding the time balance value on the fire floor by working in the engine, you know how long it takes to stretch a line to the top floor of a building. So if you're in that back bedroom searching with the first two truck company, you have an internal metronome going off in your brain telling you that line should be right about there then. And if it's not, something's wrong. But you don't know that unless you've stretched that line multiple times. So the value of starting an engine, like Nick said, I think is tremendous and by rushing that, to go to the next step of your career. In the long run, the long game, you're gonna lose. This episode's brought to you by Fast Rescue Solutions. Fast Rescue Solutions was created with the mission to develop products and training that surpass currently accepted industry standards and that meet the operational challenges of the real world. Their vision is, always has been, and always will be to revolutionize rescue and save lives, fulfilling both the mission and the vision, the Fastboard is a disruptive technology in rescue. Invented by 28-year Philadelphia firefighter Eric Allen with over 20 years in the Philadelphia Fire Department Special Operations Command. He is a game changer. His crew is game-changing victim in firefighter rescue and survival. The national average time for rescuing a downed firefighter is 15 to 20 minutes using five or more people. The fast board has the ability to reduce that time to five minutes or less using only two or three members. That is 500 times faster than the national average. Originally designed to get down firefighters out of a basement, the fast board has been proven effective in nearly every rescue scenario. RIT can find space, trench, ice, and water rescue, hazmat, mass casualty, and the list goes on and on. Its simplicity and versatility make it a game changer. For a virtual demo or more information, visit their website at www.fastrescuesolutions.com and tell the crew you heard about them on the National Fire Radio channel. Eric and his crew at Fast Rescue Solutions have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. Check them out. You know, with that, too, I, I should have said this before, for young firefighters, pay attention. It sounds so obvious. I listen to the radio. I call it listening to the music of my people. Right. And so if I'm on the rescue, if I'm on the truck or wherever I am and I hear the things that I expect to hear, if I hear, hey, three um, pump to three hydrant, charge the hydrant. If I hear three officer to three pump, charge the pre-connect. Right. Now I understand what's going on around me without seeing it. And that allows me to make decisions based upon what I want to do, but based upon what everybody else is also doing. And so can I expect a change of conditions that I need to make the push down the hall? Or, geez, I better get up there and get the roof because the engine's already charged in the pre-connect. If I don't charge, you know, get this roof cut in a timely manner, then it won't matter. 
right? Things like that. So listening and paying attention to how everybody's playing in the in this in this game is is going to be valuable to you. I love it. Very, very good points. Guys, start thinking about some questions if you have them. We're going to start working the floor in just a little bit. Mick, I know you got some notes up there. Nick, I know you have some as well. Is there anything we missed or anything you guys want to hit on that I skipped over or didn't address? There's got to be something. I dig it. Good? Yeah, like you're with the crowd stuff. Yeah, all right. So, I, guys, don't listen. Humility. Ask a question, man. This is the group, right? Everybody here is here tonight because they want to be here and they want to learn. They want to hear some good, positive stuff about the job that we all love. Does anybody have a question for these two guys that are up on stage? Come on, Jesus. The first one's always the hardest. Yeah, come on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to grab someone. Jay Urban, sure. you got a question for me? Sure. Hi, guys. Thanks for coming. We appreciate it. My, my question is, is your thoughts on with the decrease in fire duty that we have now, and the promotion of younger officers. How do we get past their insecurities of leading people into fires when they themselves haven't seen the fire load that has come from previous generations through no fault of anybody's own? Well, Vern's fault for good fire prevention, but nobody else other than Vern. Like, so how do we work that past them? How do we encourage them to lead and not micromanage and get over that insecurity that they're gonna do a great job and they're gonna make mistakes and they're gonna learn, but we gotta move past it. So how do we get them past that insecurity? Thank you, Jay. So, you know, it, it, this is like a marriage, right? And a marriage isn't 50-50, it's 100 and 100. And, and the tough thing is if your officer believes they're the thing and, and they know they're the thing and what they're doing is the best, it's very hard to steer that ship. But the senior person comment, I think, has value um, because I think that when people become the officer, whether they realize it the first time they hit the road, but sooner or later they're going to realize they don't know what they're doing. And they're going to suddenly try to lean on the people, and hopefully they didn't burn the bridge and, and realize it too late. I do believe that there's a lot of ownership in, in senior folks and, and even mid-level folks, everybody. I think it's very important... Um, if you can establish a dialogue when you come back from alarms, basic alarms, silly alarms, or don't return to service so fast. If you're on an engine, say, hey, Lou, new lieutenant, if this place was on fire, if that bedroom where that, that woman was that we just did that medical call, what line do you want me to stretch? And, and how, how should I flake it out? And, and again, it's verbal jujitsu. Make them think about the job, and then they will tell you what their expectations are. And if you realize they have no expectations, then it, it's going to be on you to kind of step it up. Officers have to understand the studying doesn't stop when they get promoted. It actually just began right and and if you don't have sleepless nights and if you don't beat yourself up and if you don't like like really say to yourself my god i suck right then then you're probably not doing it right because it's it's very hard to do everything right all the time and and so it's it's tough but i i do think especially if, if fire duty is down even in places where it's up you know mickey said it have those conversations and and really kind of open up that dialogue and then maybe it'll create the dialogue where the officer is doing something wrong and now this senior person finally has the confidence to say hey lou we talked about this the other day i'm going the other way i don't know it's an idea that's a really really hard question i don't know if there's an answer to be honest with you i think it comes from 
ambition from insecurities and identifying that, accepting that, and leaning on that senior guy to lead you. Uh, I think we all know a senior guy, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, well, he'd be a great officer. Why isn't he an officer? It's just not his thing, not his cup of tea. He wanted to be the senior guy. He wanted to be the chauffeur. He wanted to have the irons in the back step for 25, 30 years. That's great. That's the guy as a young officer that you chose to take that rank. Uh, you have to rely on him. You have to have that confidence that he's going to lead you in the right way. Uh, again, a tremendously hard question, but I think it comes from leading, leaning on the senior men and being inspired by your insecurity rather than hiding it. There's, being fire duty is down, like you said, in books. Not everyone's reading books anymore because, again, the senior man's in the palm of our hand, right? So Vinnie Dunn, we all know Vinnie Dunn, collapse of burning buildings. This guy's the smartest guy probably in the fire service. I would say that half the firehouse that I work at knows who Vinny is. Never read his book, but they've seen YouTube videos of a pancake collapse, a lean-to collapse. They're watching buildings in real time collapse. So if we can parlay that lack of experience to the social media side of understanding that we have videos of every fire we used to read about. I read that book a thousand times, and I always had trouble visualizing what he was saying. But now we can read a chapter and say, okay, lean-to collapse. Go over to the computer, plug it in, and watch a lean-to collapse. Watch buildings collapse and burning. That's a value that we have to kind of tap into, I think, and we have to promote that. A lot of fire departments are closing down the social media, saying no computers in the firehouse, no cell phones at the table. I get all that as well, but we have to understand there's a tremendous value for us to learn the experience that we're not getting in the field, but it's at the palm of our hands. But paralleling the two, it's a fine line, and I understand that. Incredibly tough question, but I think that's kind of the route we have to take. I love that, which, th thank you, Jack. So I love that because it segues into kind of how we're here tonight, right? I mean, social media kind of drove us here, right? National Fire Radio five years ago didn't exist. We started it five years ago to protect the integrity of the stories of the senior man with the podcast, which then went out into other aspects of social media. But social media is today's delivery service of content for the fire service. That's where people are digesting the good and bad of the job. And so if the good is out there and the bad is out there, we have to go through that content and understand what is good and what is bad. And that's where we have to walk that fine line. But the two of you guys too, experienced firefighters from an urban setting are putting your own words out on social media to affect the fire service. Nick, you're an older guy, man. Like, you got an Instagram page. I don't mean that badly. I mean, listen, I'm 46 years old. My kids are on TikTok and not even Instagram anymore, just TikTok and so on. But, like, the point is, and Mickey, yourself, right, you come from a, a big job that most people don't put themselves out there. But you guys chose to take a message, walk that line of positiveness about social media. And literally, that's how the three of us got here tonight in conjunction with the Burn Foundation here, right? People follow you guys. They learn who you are, what you stand for, and your word and experience through social media. 
Maybe you guys could talk about that for a second. Take us down that road, Nick, for yourself, putting yourself out there on Instagram, sharing your knowledge, experience, and stories. What does that mean for you? How was that difficult for you? Well, it was all very accidental because I, once in a while, I would put a, a truck picture on my personal Instagram, and then I realized nobody cared about my kid pictures. They actually liked the truck pictures. <laughs> And so I kind of felt creeped out by that. So I decided, hey, just as a goof, let me make another account. And then somehow it just kind of went. So I think um, what, what it allowed me to do is I forcibly made my crew go out, and they didn't mind, go out and do positions and things like that. And I, I think in the beginning, I think they actually thought it was kind of fun. Um, I think the reward of the social media has been having dialogue with folks from places I've never heard of where they may be feeling like they are alone on an island and they have no truck culture or they're the only person on their truck or their truck actually has one of those silly things with hose and water on it and they're trying to make it be a truck. And so, you know, we try to have conversations about that, and it really kind of turns into some positive conversations. And full disclosure, I got nothing against Quince. Um, but, yeah, so that's really kind of how it, it came about. Um, you know, I think, too, what I found out was that folks really, it's not that they're not allowed to do stuff. It's just they've never seen an example of somebody doing something and then having the ability to talk to them about it to give them the confidence to try it at home. And I think for a lot of things, that's what I've been able to do. I think the one post in particular that gets a lot of traffic is the one about the wires. And, and if you've ever seen that post, um, it's amazing how people are either deathly afraid of cable lines or they just don't even understand stuff. But when they can talk to somebody who, and again, yes, I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. I don't work for the power company. Um, you know, when they get to talk to people about the wires, at least it gives them a better understanding of, of the area, the arena that they're working with. It doesn't mean that they're going to suddenly get all up and through them. But at least now they, they can talk to somebody instead of constantly hearing no, 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 no. Right? So that's, I think that's been the value of it. Jeremy, you and I, we go way back because of this. Yeah. I would say it was probably, how long have you been doing it? Five years? Just, yeah, just five years. So probably about five years ago, six years ago, in a rut in my career. Worked in a tremendous, tremendous firehouse. Fire duty, great guys. Nothing was wrong with the work life. I was just kind of bored with the job and kind of, it's a, it's a weird thing to say, sitting up here talking to you tonight that I was bored with the fire department. It just, it's surreal kind of to see how far I've come in five years and it's with friends like Nick and Jeremy that I've done it. Um, I'm in my basement watching an old Rescue 3 video. See, Rescue. <laughs> rescue. You remember the one, um, everyone's seen it, the Brothers in Battle one, whatever, uh, the one that was on um, Discovery Channel. And I'm watching it on YouTube. I'm just having a beer, hanging out, thinking about going fishing the next day. And the next thing that pops up is Jeremy. And he got an interview. And I'm like, what is this clown talking about? <laughs> and I watched it, and I was like, I wonder if there's any fire things on Instagram. I had you know, the Instagram, my personal account. So I put it in Instagram. I put firefighting, and it pops up. There's National Fire Radio and a few others. I realized there was a subculture of the society that we were living in, and everything that I was lacking in my career was right in front of my eyes on social media. 
after a little bit more of homework and research, I realized I can do this. I have enough mistakes in my career that I can feel confident enough about talking what I learned from those mistakes. So I've always been a writer. In my job, they give you a probey notebook, and they say, keep all your experiences your first year in this notebook. I kept that notebook for 22 years, and I still write in it every time I go to work. It may not be a paragraph. It may be a word. But sometimes it's three pages. And with that, I've compiled many, many writings. For those of you who follow me, my posts aren't just fluff. I take many, many, many hours, and I put invest that into that. Because I'm realizing, again, the social media, the senior man, the palm of my hand, it's a real, real thing. And that's when I realized everybody wants the information. Everybody wants to interact. Everybody wants to learn. But it's getting past the, uh, the stigma of it. Right? And once we get past that, I think we can only move forward stronger and bigger as a fire service through social media. Both of you, thank you for sharing those stories. Because uh, I will tell you from somebody that is immersed in this space, um, I value the both of you and you guys from very early on we became friends, and I value the friendships we have, and I owe that all to National Fire Radio and social media. And I look at the other groups that are out there, people that are putting themselves out there, taking that risk to put themselves out there, I think is what now is propelling this job forward. It's the delivery channels of today where you can digest content about the job that we love and put it out there. So for both of you guys, thank you for doing that. Mickey, you talk about the fine line. There is a fine line, right? Everything we do on social media is done in perpetuity, meaning it's there forever. It has a footprint, right? That's a dangerous thing. Many people in here think about social media and they love to put their two cents up there. They love to share their thoughts and ideas without the thought process of what that's going to look like 10 years from now. Right. And so I caution people. We listen when National Fire Radio started, we used to get tons of hate. We used to get tons of mock pages and so on. And I don't deal with it anymore because we've we've ridden through that wave. Right. Where we've gone from, you know, something new and different to today's means in, in which the job is moving forward. And so I challenge all of you that if you're a member of any of those pages that mocks the fire service, looks at the fire service in a bad way. If you follow them and share those posts, you're just as guilty as the guys that are posting them. And you don't have the right to sit in the seat in the fire engine and claim you love the job if you support the shit that tears the job down. Sorry, it's just my point of view. Any questions? Anything else? Anybody have anything for the guys sitting up front? I'd love for this to go a little bit longer. There we go. Thank you, brother. I'm going to buy you a beer. Thank you. What are you drinking? Beautiful. I'll grab you one. Hey, fellas, thank you very much. I got a, I'm in a conundrum in the fire service right now. Um, I'm considered one of the senior guys on my department. I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place with a senior guy above me, the captain, who should have retired yesterday. Um, and then the younger department guys that have been promoted. And it's holding me back on both ends as far as the senior guy aspect. I got one senior captain that basically belittles anything I come out with when I try to help the younger generation come up, says that I'm overstepping my boundaries. And then I have the younger guys that are been promoted over me 
that says I'm overstepping my boundaries because I'm not going to them first and asking them if it's okay for me to help the younger guys coming up. So really, I don't know where I'm supposed to sit in a department. Do you have any words of wisdom? So, Thank you. first of all, I'm sorry you're in that environment. We, uh, you know, again, we don't get to pick the environments. We get stuck in them, whether they're good or bad. What I would say to you is you have to open dialogue with those folks. And so my guess is, and I don't know where you, where you are, but a lot of that's through insecurity of them, right? Um, but there's a responsibility that comes with the title of the senior person, right? So if you're the firefighter, you're the senior firefighter, um, you're an informal leader. They are the formal leader. And if they're not comfortable in their skin yet, you, you have to figure out ways to navigate that minefield to help them get there. They may never get there, but if you go out of your way and try to have conversations with them, that's gonna hopefully set the tone. And if, if you tell them that the reason you're doing these things is just to merely make the team better, it has nothing to do with undermining their authority, which clearly that's probably what they think it is, then maybe that'll help to soften their, their approach a little bit. Listen, there's some people you just can't fix. And at the end of the day, um, if you're not violating a policy, then I don't care what my boss says to me. I'm going to continue to do what I do because I believe that what I'm doing has value. That takes the humility to understand and, and, and have that perspective to make sure that you're not being this overbearing, overstepping person. But if you're not, then you're establishing that culture because younger folks are paying attention. They're going to appreciate the lessons that they learn from you. And sometimes we just have to exist in toxic environments, as lousy as that is to say. Right, and so it does become difficult. Um, again, don't plant your flag everywhere. Pick one place, and and build on that. And again, verbal jujitsu. Hey, Lou, remember we were doing this? This was what I was doing with Billy or Jenny or whatever, right? And that's why we were doing it because it was that thing that you told us about, right? It could be total BS, but again, flip the script a little bit, right? And and try to to, to bring the team in that way. That's that's really the only way I can kind of tell you to do it. It's worked for me, whether it's the right way to do it or not, I don't know. But but I've had some success with that. The other is you have to be durable again, right? If now you have this, you're carrying the mantle of the senior person. This is what it's about. It's not so easy and fun, right? You have to earn it and that's how you earn it. That was great, Nick. And I am sorry you're in that situation. That's a tough situation to be in. I recently had a similar question from someone and I really didn't have the answer for them. But sitting here thinking about it as, as he was talking, you have to remind yourself that you can't teach what you don't know, and you can't go where you've never been, simply meaning that you're in a good spot, even though you may think you're not. Passive aggressiveness in the fire service, that's out. You have to have transparency in everything you do. And if you're being transparent with your motive, then it's on them at that point. But really, when it's on them, it becomes a dead-end street for them. For you, being transparent and understanding your motive and moving forward... I truly believe good guys gravitate to great places. I say it all the time. And you will gravitate to a great place. You're just in a rut. We all have them. The greatest companies in the world, they have a rut. But you'll get through it. You just have to stay motivated, stay positive, and understand that you're doing the right thing. I love it. And I also want to recognize this, too. They're coming to you, which means that you've made an impression on them. 
And if you're not there continuing to do what you're doing to be there for them, that means they got nobody. And that means they're going to have to start looking at those people that you might not respect so much. And those people that might be trying to hold you back are then trying to stunt the growth and hold back the guys that are below you. So if they're coming to you, you stay the course. Don't sacrifice your values for weak people. Don't let weak leaders allow you to become weak. You stay strong, you push forward, and you make this freaking job as good as it can be. And you're going to set the tempo and tone and cadence for those young kids that are coming up behind you that are hungry to learn. Don't let shitty leaders tear our people down. So, brother, stay the course. Enjoy that beer, man. Thank you for the question. I appreciate you. Uh, what do we got? Yeah, I love it, man. Yeah, brother, here's the mic. You guys talk a lot about, obviously, your experiences as officers and uh, whether you were in an acting position. You spoke a lot about your experience in the backseat. Drivers, what's your perspective? Or, you know, engine drivers are you know, a different format than truck and rescue drivers. What, what's, you know, what do you guys have to say about, you know, where a driver should be, their sole responsibility, what they have to teach to not only, you know, their assistance with the officer, backseat, et cetera. So doing a majority of my career in the truck company, I can speak of the truck officer because I was one. Um, the truck officer, or, the, or the, I'm sorry, the truck chauffeur is the eyes and ears of the inside and outside team. It's the ambassador of the company. They set the tempo. So we speak a lot of tempo and cadence. The moment we get the ticket or receive the alarm, that truck chauffeur is setting the tempo. When you arrive on scene, that tempo is being projected onto the fire ground. So a good truck chauffeur is the eyes and ears, like I said, not only for the officer, but for the outside team gaining position on the fire. Everything we do is about gaining position on the fire, and that comes from a good truck chauffeur. Game six, Michael Jordan, I think it was 1998, maybe. He was... Playoff game, intercepts the ball, or steals the ball, and he uses the court and the time as a tool to allow his members or his teammates to get into position. I think a good truck chauffeur can have that same analogy by using the court, the shot clock, and the time balance transfer on the fire ground to gain position on the fire. A good truck chauffeur will allow his members to get into position at all costs. Um, so I think that's the main thing, is setting that tempo for the moment you receive the alarm and following throughout the fire and being in the eyes and ears for everyone on the inside. As far as the engine chauffeur, there's studies done with the engine chauffeur, the highest stress on the job, and I think that makes sense when you think about it. Number two is the, actually the chief, the battalion chief, the first two chief, because for so long you're a firefighter, then you're an officer, then you're on the fire floor and floors above. But the moment you take those abilities away from yourself and now you're standing in front of a fire building, you want to be able to perform, but you can't. So your heart rate goes up. You can't think clearly. So it's very, very challenging for the chiefs in the room. I'm sure you've had that ability where you want to go in and pull the ceiling, put water on the fire, go cut the roof because you don't think your men are capable, but they're very capable. It's just a human instinct to want to do it. Um, but for the engine show for... I think that's the hardest job on the fire ground. I've never been an engine chauffeur, but I see these guys, and they're just they're tremendous. I work right now with some of, the, I think, the best engine chauffeurs in the entire world. That's how good they are. But um, I think a key thing with the engine chauffeur, and I'll leave it with this, is that 
If you see an engine chauffeur struggling to get water, can't go into pumps, burst length, burnt through line, frozen hydrant, sometimes just going over, being that second do chauffeur, that second do engine chauffeur, and putting your hand on them and say, brother, you good? That's enough to alleviate that stress in the moment, to lower the heart rate, and allow them to think clearly in the moment. So, uh, pumper engineers, 10 minutes of terror and an hour worth of boredom. They've earned that hour worth of boredom because that 10 minutes of terror is very scary. If you're the first two engine, you realize that this entire operation hinges on your ability to get water out of this thing and to get it to the people, the proper pressure, right, and delivery to allow them to be successful. So, you know, I, I love pumping the first 10 minutes. I hate that next hour, but you've earned that next hour because, you know, the hard work is done then. Talking about the truck, you know, um, my class that I teach, I call it the Mike Candela Appreciation Tour. Mike Candela was my truck driver. And, and so when I got on that truck as a, a younger lieutenant, um, I was super excited because I loved Mike, and he was the guy that was cutting holes when I was the fireman first getting on the job. So for me, it was a tremendous honor to get there. Um, all I had to do was toot the horn, talk on the radio, and wave to my buddies right, because my driver was doing all the heavy lifting. And I didn't realize how heavy the lifting was until we started to like go to those fires and really have that. I mean, I understood the exchange with the well-time, well-placed ventilation and all that stuff. But yeah, the, the, the driver is, is like really very important and it, and it really can make or break the operation. And so what I say is, and this isn't to reflect negatively on the, on the two guys that were in the back, but Sean and Alex, when they first got on the company, they wanted to get checked off the drive. And I'm like, absolutely. You've got the best guy in the business to learn from, go at it. And man, did I learn real fast. You don't just jump in the front seat and drive like Mike. And so both today, both Sean and Alex are very formidable truck drivers. They're great. They're officers now. But when they were truck drivers, they learned and they, they became very good. But man, for me as the officer, I realized what I had in that senior man, senior driver, when he wasn't there. I loved those dudes, Sean and Alex, but they still weren't Mike. And so the driver, the chauffeur is so important. Um, and it's almost like, you know, the value for the officer, because if you're trying to make a call and you look over and they're like, nah, right? Sometimes that's all it takes because it's a very lonely place to be in that right front seat. But when you have that team, man, that really, so the driver, the chauffeur is, is key. And if you have one of those really good ones, it's a home run. Thank you guys. Be like Mike. Yeah. Be like Mike. I love wheeling. I wheel quite often. I don't come from an urban, you know, urban cities like these guys, but I give, I like to think that I give my officer the confidence and abilities to do his job because I do mine. And I think that we need to be careful of that. And I love the relationship between boss and chauffeur. I think that that relationship is invaluable. And I think you can't put a price tag on that because there's so many things that the chauffeur does, whether truck, engine company, even a rescue, you know, rescue chauffeur. doesn't matter what position or a chief's aide, right? Think about the responsibilities that come with that. It's typically a more senior man in that position. And there's a mutual trust between the boss and that seat, that chauffeur seat. And the, so, you know, we need our people to work and bosses need to let their people work. So when you have a good dialed in chauffeur, it's such an important position you allow them to work, and it allows the boss then to go to work. So great question. Thank you very much. Anyone else have a question for me? Yeah, brother. Thank you. 
All right, for starters, the uh, raffle for 50 50s at about $1,100. So if you want to buy some more tickets, that's great. Um, if you donate it back, we'll buy you two t-shirts on us. So just think about that. You could give that $500 to us and we'll give $40 to these guys. I'll throw in a copy of Random Thoughts, Tom Brennan. And you'll get a book, so uh, that's awesome. Uh, Mick, when you were on National Fire Radio, you hit on uh, victims, um, the search team, and, and victims found ahead of the line are the live victims, and the victims found behind the line are the dead victims. So uh, if you guys could just touch on that for a minute. So I got some heat from that comment, but I think that if you're here tonight, you probably understand it. So I'm often asked to come into departments and speak about a truck culture. And I don't really believe that's something that is taught from an instructor coming in or a speaker coming in. That's something that's passed on from the senior men over years, over time. What I do believe in is that you can teach a truck mindset. And with that understanding, that primary search is kind of a lost art. And maybe it's an art that many smaller departments never really embraced. You learn about it in the fire academy. However, when you get to the field, it doesn't really happen. I understand staffing is an issue. And with that, can you search off the line? Of course you can. But we truly, truly, truly have to start understanding that if we're not searching ahead of the line, we are searching for dead people. Now think about that for a moment. It's a very blunt statement. And of course, it's not 100% of all times. But what I'm getting at is that the purpose of the truck, of course, is to save lives, right? That's what all of our job is. But that first new truck on the fire floor's main objective is to locate that fire direct the engine company into position, and then search for life. That has been lost in translation from the fire academy to the fire floor, and we need to connect those dots. The floor above, very differently. The way we talk about the floor above is that your search starts at that threshold. Once you cross the ideal H, as you're going above, you give a little tickle to the engine boss, brother, I'm going above. You make that eye contact, you make that physical touch. Because now that company knows the only place they're going is the burn center if there's brothers above. So the above, your search starts at their threshold but is focused in the area above that fire. And we search away from there. We're searching into position but really detailing to where the fire is. Reflecting back to the fire floor though, locating that fire is critical. We never dismiss the points, the mind triggers, the forward-thinking motion of getting into position. So if you're searching for the fire and find a victim, you've done your job. Number one, we're searching for life, but we can't forget that number one on the fire floor is locating that fire. Once you locate the fire, we can now move into position. And that goes into positioning of different positions within the company. But answering your question, I know it's a blunt statement, and I took some heat for it, but I stand behind it because that blunt statement starts this conversation to understand that we have to gain position properly, and that is locating the fire number one. We can't locate the fire if we're behind the engine, and that's the purpose of the truck company. Awesome. Thank you. Who else? Right here. Right. Yeah, brother. Thank you. All right. So first off, I wanted to thank you guys for um, your vulnerability and your honesty. Um, Mickey, you're, you relate a story that uh, really I, I can relate to. Um, 
I'm an administrator of a, a social media site called Holding One and One. And when we, when we started that out, um, I was driving a truck in Tyson's and my buddy who was with me was in uh, PG. He was a uh, engine officer at Oxon Hill. And neither one of our respective PIOs knew that we were running the page. And we kept it anonymous. We, we, we gave ourselves silly names. We, we called each other the engine and the truck just because we were afraid that they were going to come down on us. So we had to be very strategic in how we went about slowly initiating that um, across the board. So I just wanted to appreciate or uh, tell you how much I appreciate you relaying that story. Um, and the, the other thing that I, I wanted to mention, and I know nobody's here to, to, to hear me, but you had, we had talked about like one of the things that an officer can do to, to get that company going. And one thing I had a lot of luck with doing in Fairfax uh, be it a relief officer, or an officer on a truck, was, was just to get out and whenever we were out, I know this isn't gonna have, nobody else is gonna have this opportunity or some, some of you won't have this opportunity, but I would take advantage of, when we were out on the road, when we were out on those incidents, if we had a couple minutes, the guys were in gear, let's do something, let's, let's take advantage of, a lot of times the owners and, and the, 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 buildings, the building reps, they didn't even know what we were doing, but we were just taking advantage of, of the extra 15 minutes that we were there, and the next thing you know, we would have four or five drills, nobody cared about it, because they were about 15 minutes long, and it, we would just build that muscle memory and all that. So lastly, I just wanted to, um, remind everybody that the, the, uh, the love for the, for the job that we have, it's not a crime, so keep pushing. Well, thank you, brother, I appreciate that. Uh, something I do have, though. Nick, you said earlier, don't rush getting back in service. He kind of brings that up, right? Like, take the opportunity to train and drill when the opportunity presents itself. What does that look like for you? When you guys uh, take an extra minute, you as the captain of the rescue company, or your ladder company days, or even when you actually were on an engine. What did that look like for you to hold court maybe after the fact? Maybe just a little bit of uh, some ideas of how you open a conversation or, or hang back a few minutes before going available so that you could have those conversations. Right, so first and foremost, when the bell hits, the, your community gave you the green light to do whatever you believe they think you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do firefighter stuff. They have no idea what it looks like. So if it means you take your ladder truck and you block the road, you put your outriggers out and you throw the aerial to the roof, they expect that. Now, granted, don't do it on a busy road at 5 in the afternoon on a Friday. I understand that part. But the vast majority of times, 2 o'clock on a Tuesday, more than likely your communities agree they can drive around. Afterwards, it's very important to have that discussion about what you saw, what you think you saw, why did you do something, why did the other company do something, what could we have done to better support them? 
maybe we need to talk to them to figure out why they were doing it. Things like that, because every time you go, that's a free opportunity to have that. And I know Mick doesn't like reps, but have that rep to talk about what you would have done had this actually been the real thing. Right. And even though that's not experience because you didn't actually do it, it's a primer to allow you to have those tools and those compensating devices to understand how you would act or what the expectation is for you to do in the event that this was a real event and your supervisor wasn't around. Okay. So that's what I would do. Mick, what about yourself, brother? How do you hold court with your guys? What does that look like? So being an officer, the, the game I like to play, not the game, because I'm in a place now for some time now where I, I really enjoy the men that are there. But change of tours, whatever it may be, we have some time to kill. Guys aren't getting beat up with a 1,000 runs. I take them for coffee. And when you go get the coffee, you can judge a firefighter's character by if he stays on the rig. Even if you're not having the coffee, get off the rig and go in and hang out with the brothers. Because that conversation goes from checking out the cute girls at the counter to now we're checking out the fire escapes. Now we're talking about how you get into the roof. And that all builds off just being normal people, being normal guys. So, so many times officers and senior guys try to get to that drill mentality. Okay, we're going to go out, we're going to stretch, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. It starts from just being the normal guy buying a cup of coffee, asking how your family is, and next thing you know, you're parlayed into talking about forcible entry, cutting road down gates, whatever it may be. And those drills last 10, 15, sometimes 30 minutes, but they're the best drills that you'll ever have. And those are the ones you can truly capitalize on, and those are the ones you can see who's really into the job because they're listening to you. They're not on their phone. They're not sitting on the rig. They're not sightseeing down the block. They're there listening to you intently. So when you have a fire later that afternoon, you know you can rely on those men because they're into the job. They're into that tour. As well as mental health, I'm not, it's, a, it's a very fine line. I don't want to really speak of that, but you could also engage in who's having a tough day. Um, it may be just because they fight with their wife, their girlfriend, but that kind of can all build up to how the rest of your tour is going to go if you do catch a fire. Love that. You said a couple things there that are very powerful. I think believing in your people, buying into your people, talking to your people, knowing your people. Here's an idea. Take an interest in the guy that you're riding with. Take, take an interest and learn their kids' names, their spouses' names. Care about the people that we go to fires with because it matters. I agree with you guys 100%. Questions? Here we go. Good evening, all. I'm Spencer Bouch um, with Waterford Fire. Um, I, uh, in 2002, I went through Connecticut Fire Academy, Class 24, and uh, Chief Bendis, for you guys on the job in Hartford, uh, told, told, told us, two eyes and two ears and one mouth. So new guys coming up, l listen, look at twice as much as you say. Um, also, as a senior man now, it quickly happened our job. We've transitioned from a single guy in a firehouse, two guys together on a truck, to four guys in a group with a captain with leadership. And a lot, we have a transition of a lot of new guys coming up. Now, I'm 50, guys in my group are in their 20s. And um, you gotta kinda take what they have to bring to the table and it rejuvenates you. Cause you can get into a rut and um, I think it's good to listen to the young guys coming in. Um, they breed a lot of good, 
good good um, health keeps you healthy as being a you know over eight um, you know 50 year old and um, so that's why I suggest that everybody on the job if you're a senior guy or you know the guy is listen to new guys coming in and uh, let them breathe some new blood into the job also I'm a big uh, uh, fan of fundraising we have a foundation in Waterford there's a roll of tickets over there and I want to push everybody whip out your 20 bucks that you think you're gonna use, buy a beer, and let's get rid of that roll of tickets. Beautiful, thank you. Guys, please, 50-50 goes to a fantastic cause. Thank you, brother, for sharing that. I wanna say this, it's fun to watch older guys get reinvigorated into the job because the younger guys excite them. And that's awesome, Mick? Yeah, Jeremy, branching off what he said and what you're saying now is everyone has a voice on this job, right? So. I truly believe that you should listen to more than you speak, but when you do speak, speak from the heart. And for the junior men in the room, it's okay to have a voice. Just don't use it at the kitchen table for bullshit. But you go to a fire, you have a voice. It could be your first fire, you see something, point it out. Say something to the officer, say something to the senior guy. Back at the firehouse, engage in conversation. Just don't overstep your bounds, but everyone has a voice in this job. I just wanted to build off what he was saying is that the senior men are looking to interact, so have that voice, but be passionate when you speak and speak from the heart. So with that too, understand for newer folks, understand for newer officers, every day is a test. Whether you like it or not, it doesn't matter. The folks around you are testing you. Are you worth their time? Are you worth their input, right? They have that right to hold you to that. And if you're carrying yourself in a way, or if you present yourself in a way that shows them that you're not worth their time or their input, then you're not gonna get it. Now, everybody complains, why do they ask why? I don't have a problem with it because I think it's important. It tells me that they don't know something and they want to learn. When you ask why, you have to take some ownership though. Whether you like my answer or not, I gave you one. And now you have to figure out how to use that. Don't keep asking why until you get the answer that you think you want, right? And it's important for us to listen to folks when they ask why, because it means they don't know. And so you need to figure out what that means to you and your operational capacities as a company or a department. So, and also one other thing, 50 isn't old. I just want to tell you that. Neither is 52. So I got a couple, couple of questions, uh, I guess I'm gonna ask them. Um, I got one here on the phone, it says, as a new guy, when you're blessed with an eager crew, knowledgeable senior guys, and competent, confident officers, how do you deal or prepare with fires that don't go well? So you got a gun-ho crew, you got good senior guys, good bosses, and yet this job still doesn't go well. How do we deal with that? First and foremost, it's always communication. And, and the other thing too is, is being honesty and, and have ownership. Say what you did, say when you did it, be realistic about what happened. And if somebody comes and says something to you that might reveal the fact that you did something wrong or out of time, you have to own it, right? We are not perfect. We strive for perfection, but it's hard to get. This speaks very much to, to Mickey's tempo cadence and all that, right? And, and you may be doing the right thing, but at the wrong time, 
and, and so then it's wrong. And so we need to learn and grow. That's the experience part. I, I'm a negative reinforcement learner. I learn so much more from when I do things wrong. And that was my example when I had the really good officer that did everything right. I was like, hey, cool, man. And I'm mailing it in because they didn't have to think everything went right. When things started to go wrong, that's what really made me look at the problems and understand where I fit and, and how best to fix what was going on. And so I think that's, that's a big part of it. Sorry, a little sidebar back here. Um, all right, I'm gonna come back to that one. I got another one and then we're, I'm gonna, I got one more for you too. Question on the senior man. What if your senior man's a piece of shit? What if, what if the senior man in your firehouse, now, I mean, we could define what the senior man is. We kind of talked about that before because it's not the guy with the most time. I think the senior man is the guy with some tenure in the job who's still into the job and promoting his people and the job and being protective of the sanctity of the firehouse and everything else. It's a big equation, right? That really is who is the senior man in that firehouse. What if you have a senior guy in your firehouse, you're from a small job. I mean, you guys are from good sized jobs. What if you're riding with a two or three man engine company and you got three companies in your city or four companies? And the senior man's a piece of shit. How do you deal with it? So the test question answer is I need to go to EAP and I need to find out what his problem is and, and all that stuff. And I'm not against that part and there is value to that. But at the end of the day, we need to produce for our community. Communication is huge. And for supervisors, and I'm going to speak from the supervisor part of it, this is where you earn your keep. Right, tooting the horn, talking on the radio, having a really nice size up, that's cool. But these are the hard times where you need to rise to the occasion. You need to, to have conversations, difficult conversations, but have them in such a way that, that shows that this person has value, you believe in them, you understand that their years of experience should count for something, and you want them to be a part of your team. And then if that doesn't kind of happen, I'm a big fan of the old train them up or train them out. Right, and so in Bridgeport, I'm on a 21. That means I'm on the radio, I'm out on a road, and we're gonna go out and train, right? You have to figure out why this person, maybe they just don't like you or me, and that's, I've dealt with that, right? So if that's the case, then something's gotta give, and either I can change, or if I feel like that would ruin the value of the company, then we need to figure this, this thing out. It could just be a bad marriage, right? But the reality is, try to figure out what's going on with that person, right? Invest in them and show that you really do care about them and they have value and then see where it goes from there. Cool. Thank you, Nick. Any other questions? Really? No? No more? What? Well, we want to know if Kelly is a girl's name or a boy's name. Thoughts? Girl's name. Girl's name. Sorry, brother. But I did meet a, curly, uh, a, a Kelly earlier and he was a dude, so... All right, you win. It's good. Anything else, guys? If not, we're probably going to... Oh, we got one more. So before we hit this question, since it's starting to wrap up, uh, last call for 50-50 tickets. Please don't walk out of here squeaking. Put some money in the bucket and support the cause. That's why we're here tonight. Don't be cheap. Don't be cheap. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, uh, as as twenty plus year guys, how do you keep track of your details still? Like, I got a little notebook I keep in my, you know, a little man purse, and it stays in the piece. 
and I forget it. And, you know, like we go to a water call or whatever, and I forget where the water heater is. On, you know, and we haven't been there in five years or whatever. How do you keep track of those details after so many years? All right, so two things. If it's not an emergency run, take time to make time. As corny as that sounds, but I probably read it somewhere for a test. Bust out your book if it's handy and if you have a system where you can do that. The other thing is, instead of watching Springer or whatever, review those things once in a while. And the reality is, look, man, we're all human. We can't remember everything about everywhere, right? And it, it does make it very difficult. It's really good that you do have a system and you're trying to track that stuff, and that's cool. But again, if you, you can't remember it all all the time. Could you clarify that again? So you have a, a notebook you keep in your bunker gear? With just notes about whatever? That's great you do that. I'll take it one step further. I think that, at least in my job, positioning is critical. And every position is dictated by the building you have. I know not everyone runs like that. But I've been in companies where they have the positioning on the wall in front of you, reviewing on the way to the fire. So you should know what to do. But it's right there just reinforcing it, you know? So I think that's a great way just to keep it out of your bag Good. So we're riding two and one. Okay. I'm driving, and we're going to a water emergency, or we're going to an overdose, or we're going to, you know, some nonsense. And it's like we're going into a super nice apartment building, but 308 is a shithole apartment. Like, make a note about that. How do you keep that in mind going forward? Is this something that you keep in mind, or is it something that you just dump down? I mean... No, absolutely. It's uh, That's a good question. You got something? I mean, Yeah, so two things. 308 won't be a dump forever. Sooner or later, they're going to yeah. either die or leave. Yeah, two, like, if you're going to build a system like that for yourself, then you need to figure out a way to make sure that you're using it effectively. Otherwise, it's just whatever. It's filler. Yeah. So, But to my point, again, I think if you're going on a minor alarm... Right, you, you should be able to take that time. Figure out a way that you can set that book up to, to bust out, whether you do it by street or whatever, and then that way it'll, it'll help. Uh, again, it's, it's so hard to remember everything, and especially if you're bouncing all over the place. Um, but you know, the nice thing is that you're trying to do the best. And that's, that's what's important. So, you, you know, but again, figure out a way, like even if it is, if you sit at the watch or whatever, or sit on the pot while you're doing paperwork, if you know what I'm talking about, then, then read it then. Take 10 minutes, right? And then just bust out a couple extra pages and then maybe that'll help refresh. It's, it's, it's passive luck. And, and again, there's four of us on our, or well, five on mine, but four on most of our rigs. So, you know, at the end of that call, you say, hey, man, 308 was a dump, huh, bro? And then maybe somebody will say at 3 in the morning, hey, we're going to 308 again. Remember, it's a big dump, right? And then maybe that'll help. Yeah. Thank you. 
Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you to all of you that had questions tonight. I do appreciate that. Uh, I want to give uh, Nick and Mickey if, uh, just a second or two. If you guys have questions you didn't want to bring to the table tonight, but you want to engage them, you're welcome to join them afterwards. We're going to wrap so we can have some more fellowship and brotherhood um, and maybe have another pop or two before you know we, we all go our ways and spread the good word about what we did here tonight. Um, Nick, if people want to get a hold of you, if they don't talk to you afterwards, they want to reach out to you, social media, where can they find you? Right. So I'm uh, on Instagram, truck underscore tactics or Facebook, truck tactics or Nick Esposito. Not hard to find. Truck tactics training at gmail.com. I'm not hard to find. So if you have any questions or whatever, um, you know, that's the way to do it. I do have business cards up here if you want to do that. Not a problem. Great. Thank you. Mickey, yourself, brother? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, topflowtactics.com as well if you want to get in with any um, classes up and coming. That's it. It's great, man. Thank you. I do want to mention they do have uh, some shirts, stickers, things up here to support their brand. What these guys do, they're pouring their heart and soul, their experience and pedigree and their knowledge into their social media uh, pages to push the job forward. So if you feel inclined, they have a lot of things up here that help support them do that. Please give them a second, come up here, see what they have, buy a shirt, buy some stickers, support their cause so they can keep putting out this great information. Uh, one other, go ahead. If we take anything away tonight before we leave, I just want to touch on one thing, is that it's about loyalty. That's it. If you are loyal to one another, everything else usually kind of falls into place. That's what we have to remember. The fire service is in a, a weird turning time at this point. Remain loyal. Take care of this job. And when I mean this job, this family. And I promise you this job will take care of you and your family tenfold down the road. But it comes from being loyal to one another. Mickey, thank you. Nick, last words, brother? Oh, that's all good. Right on. Love that. Good. Guys, thank you very much. We do have to do the 50-50. I also want to say again, uh, please check out the vendors that are here. They spent their nights here. They helped support the cause tonight. Um, StarTac Safety Dynamics, First Choice Safety Solutions, MES Shipments, South County Auto, and 10.3 Graphics. Thank you to the sponsors who were here tonight or couldn't make it but supported the cause tonight. Thank you to Mike Leonard and the crew from New London, the uh, New London Firefighters Burn Foundation. Thank you very much. The title of tonight's roundtable was Experience Matters. It certainly does. Gentlemen, thank you very much for doing what you guys did tonight. We appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Appreciate a round of applause for these two. National Fire Radio.